Welcome to Expats on Air. Today, we have an extra, extra special guest. The reason he's so special is because he meets the bare minimum requirement to be on Expats on Air. Meet Isaac Simpson. How you doing? Hello. So he meets the bare requirement, but he wrote a book. So that's pretty legit. And we also happen to be work associates. So, uh, Isaac hit me up. When you get me on the podcast, so now you're here, is it everything you uh, thought it would be? Sucks. That was a pretty, uh, that was a pretty dope intro. I'm not really in the mood to, like, be super nice and, like, like be super excited, but uh, I will say that was a really awesome intro. Yeah, the goal of that intro is to set the mood. For the show. I figure if we just go into the show without an intro, it's not going to have the same vibe. Totally. Totally. All right. So, yeah, Isaac. I, I have this. Yeah, sorry. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. I, I cut you off no, no, from no. the delay. You need to go ahead because no. I didn't have a very interesting okay. question. Well, I, my, my latest theory is that it's like the reason why all the podcasters that we listen to are such dorks is that all they do is podcast. All the entertainers we know, all they do is podcast. So, like, that's not really their real self. Like, that's their self that is writing the email that you and me have to write that has a lot of exclamation points in the end, which we don't want to write, but we write it because it's like, this is what doing business is. Like, the podcasters that are pro podcasters are, like, on that mode all the time. So they're just like, hey, guys, like, let's chat. Like, I'm so fun. But that's Regards. not real like life. Yeah. Their email signatures. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All these guys are in email signature mode all the time. And that's not real. That's not real life. You know, I've been in fucking email signature mode all day. And now it's like <laughs> I don't want to be in email. I don't want to I don't want to be like, oh dude, that is an awesome intro. Oh my god. Like that's uh, so cool. Like I don't want to be like that. You I sound... want to be like, fuck you, this sucks, life sucks. Like that's what I want to be. That was a very L.A. voice you just did. Yeah. So, you, so, so, Isaac, can you do a little introduction? You live in L.A. You spent some time in Vietnam. Can you give us a little more than that? Uh, yes. I spent three months in Vietnam, which is... Bare minimum! The bare minimum. Bare minimum for living as an expat, which I definitely do not really qualify for, but... The good thing about it was that I worked at a um, law firm there. So in, in that sense, I was a little bit of an expat because I actually had a job. Um, and all the people I hung out with were like real estate expats who were working at places like CBRE and these, you know, large organizations um, that were sort of feasting on the economy of Vietnam at the time that I was there. Feasting. Did they exploit Feast the economy? at the time i wouldn't even really say they exploited it to be honest i mean i i don't even really know what that means what does that mean exploiting well there's there's a few examples we could share we don't need to get into that though um so let's just get into 
the bare minimum thing because usually I do this later on in the show. I want to do this early on. All right. So one Mr. Worldwide for one country for three months, but you wrote a book, and I think that gives you a lot more credibility. So let's talk about your book. Uh, let me That's just pull true. that up. Philosophy and fucking in Vietnam. Sounds sleazy, but is it sleazy? Well, so, yeah, when you first heard about it, you were like, that's like a Roosh V book. And uh, if it was a Roosh V book, it would be about, like, how to bang girls in Vietnam. Like, here's how to get those numbers up, which is not at all what this book is. This book is completely trying to be a, like gonzo journalism real life this is me being vulnerable type of book and um it's really terrible it's horribly written you should definitely not read it uh i was very young when i wrote it it was sort of like for me it was like i was a lawyer and i was like i need to stop being a lawyer so let me just like you know brand myself with something that i will never be able to escape and that's basically what this book is you know it's like you know so this book but the the actual content of it is actually pretty non-offensive if you actually read it now the book is it a regret i I don't think writing the book is a regret the retire the title definitely is regret. Like, I really wish I could go back and, and change that title, man, because it's just like a, it's just like a, you know, it's like a landmine waiting there for someone to see. And then, and then once they're like, well, wait a second, he wrote that, then they start looking into me more. And then they realize, oh, he was one time a guest on the Daily Show, which is like, you don't want to be that. And then, you know. What's the Daily Show? an actual journalist in this day. What? What's the Daily Show? You don't know? Your audience doesn't know what The Daily Show is? Well, you should explain it for them. The Daily Show is like the most ultra-Nazi podcast in existence. And it's run by this guy named... uh, I can't remember his name right now. Mike Enoch. There was a whole New Yorker article about him. And I went on this podcast to get content for my podcast. And because at the time, I was like a super gonzo journalist. So at the time, I was going and hanging out with Chief Keef. I was literally like crawling under bridges. I was doing all these crazy things to be a gonzo journalist. So one of the crazy things I did was volunteer to be on this like ultra Nazi podcast. And I, I'm Jewish, so it's like my mother's Jewish. And I literally emailed them and I was like, hey, Jew here, let me be on your podcast. And they were like, okay. So I went on without having any idea that they were like, had hundreds of thousands of like international Nazi followers. I had no idea. And I went on and like was shocked at what I found, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But it's still, my name is like, you know, if you dug deep enough, you'd be like Isaac Simpson guest, <laughs> you know, guest on Daily Showa, uh, which is like obviously not the best. So has the Anti-Defamation League have they defamed you yet for going on the show? Well, so uh, no, but I feel like they were really, so on the show, to be fair, if anybody actually listens to the show, I'm very like defending, like I'm not like, yeah, let's, I mean, you know, 
I'm putting them at ease for sure. But I, uh, you know, it's not like at the end of it, I'm like, yeah, you know what? You guys are right. Like, let's kill, you know, let's kill all the Jews. So I am standing up at some level. But so I think they've maybe gave me a pass for that. But then actually shortly after, I did start getting weird calls on my phone from like people who would call me and be like, fuck you, is this Isaac Simpson? Fuck you, fuck you, I'm gonna beat your ass. Like right after. And I traced the calls like to Brooklyn. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know. Wait, don't so know what, were these wignats, like white nationalists, neo-Nazi types, or were they people who were mad about you being on a Nazi show? Like who was the mad, the Nazis? Yeah, the people calling you. Were they Nazis or? Oh, okay. I don't know. My theory is that they were like Hasids, you know? But I have a very good relationship with the Hasids now, so I, I think uh, that's long past. Yeah, and your mother being Jewish, that makes you a real Jew. Now, did you go on that show and call them good goys? <laughs> I said, bye goy, bye goy, when I got off the phone. No, I don't, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I was completely unprepared. I had no idea. I like I went on. I, I thought these were like guys who had ten followers, and then I like went on it. And then you should have seen. Like, I looked at the video comment. There's like three hundred comments being like, you know, incinerate the Jew, incinerate the Jew. You know, just like all this shit. And so I had no idea that they had such a, a, a insane presence. And then they got written up in the New Yorker later. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. These guys are like, this is like the actual, you know, this is like the actual uh, Nazi front of today. Yeah. You know? Because, you know, the media, nerds, right? the media, the media, fucking nerds. corporate media cause, calls a lot of people white supremacists, Nazis, but these are the real ones. These are the legit ones. And Mike Enoch, uh, I know that name. I, I wouldn't yeah, Mike Enoch. I, I wouldn't call them legit. I would call them, you know, like they're doing it for the sake of it. You know, they're, they're not doing it because they believe it. They're doing it because they're losers. I mean, it's like I hate being one of these people calling them losers, but they're not losers. They're just people looking for an angle, right? They're people looking for an angle. And the, the, their angle is... I'm going to go to the most dark corner and there's always going to be the darkest corner, no matter what society we're in, there's always going to be that dark corner. And they go to that dark corner and they're like, this is, I'm in the dark corner. Like, this is me. And you know, fucking Mike Enoch is a fucking like Serbian. And you know who Hitler killed? The fucking Slavs. He killed just as many Slavs as Jews. So in Hitler land, Mike Enoch would be killed number one just out of everybody else. So it's like, you know, these guys talk about wanting an ethno state. It's like, come on. You know, Dude, I, I, saw, I, I saw this video yesterday. It was one of those, it was on Telegram, predictably so. It's one of these like kind of fash wave Nazi videos. But it was like about white nationalists allying with white Hispanics. And it, and it was like a bunch of footage of drug cartels dancing around, flashing guns, playing reggaeton music. And it was like, yeah, we got to come together. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a bunch of Latino people saying yeah. the N-word. It was, it was absurd. But that's the ethnostate. That's, that's it. Yeah. yeah, that's the ethnostate. 
the white Hispanics, as long as you're 75%, you know, then you can get it. But 74%, you're out, you know? And this is, this is the fucking problem. It's like these guys, they don't want to be in the fucking ethno state. You know, they, they want to be on it because they think they're going to get laid in it. And then they're going to get in the ethno state and they're going to be like, wait, I still can't get laid. Like, what happened? So, you know. All right. Well, enough about the far right movement on the internet. Um, yeah. Can you talk about the book? Like, you named it Philosophy and Fucking in Vietnam. You, you said it, it was uh, a way for you to be vulnerable. But what does it get into? Can you outline it a little bit? Sure. So um, I went there. It's built basically, this is like, God, it's like, could you imagine something more corny and lame? But uh, I, I built it roughly on the structure of Heart of Darkness. Uh, you know, we all know Heart of Darkness. We know Apocalypse Now. And, you know, it's kind of about like the river to the end of human depravity in a way. Um, but it's real. It's, 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 you know, it's 93% true. That's what I'll, that's what I'll leave it at because, you know, you have to say that, but, uh, I worked at a very big law firm there and not, uh, you know, uh, law firms there right now, the white collar ones are all about, uh, navigating international law to make it so that big American companies can go there and exploit the labor market. And here we return to the word exploit. So is it, is it exploiting or is it just paying people who deserve it? I don't know. You know, we, we don't know the answer. But I worked at a law firm there that um, helped very large companies come in there and basically uh, set up huge factories. Because Vietnam, right, you have a populace that is 98% educated, 96, 98% literate, you know, way better than America. And they don't really have a great job network, at least before 92, when communism kind of fell down a little bit. Uh, so you have this very ripe job market, just like you used to have in China, the reason why China now makes all our shit. So American companies flooded into there. You know, in, in 92, when the economy opened up, American companies just started building factories there left and right, like billion dollar factories, you know, so, you know, microchips, uh, you know, salmon farming, whatever it is, you know, it was able to be done there. And so uh, my law firm was started by an ex-Navy man who was there in the war, married a Vietnamese woman, went back right when they reopened. So he like was the first guy back in Vietnam in 92, 91, whatever it was. And he set up a law firm like on day one. And so from there on out, every big company that wanted to go there and set up shop, he helped them do that. He was an M&A attorney. You know, he, he, he helped them merge with various things in Vietnam. So not only do you need to tangle with the WTO, right? And the IMF, all these like international rules, but you also need to tangle with the communist government. And for an American lawyer, it's super weird and fascinating because what is law in Vietnam? You know, here we have a common law system. There they have a civil law system that's based on judgments of bureaucrats. So literally it's like, imagine that you have a, uh, imagine that you get discriminated against Nathan for, you know, being a homosexual. And, uh, you know, not it for, goes up. 
Not for being bald. <laughs> it's you're gay. Which I'm not so for the record. Yeah, you're not that there's anything wrong with that cliche follow up, but but go on. Yeah, right, right. Whatever it is. Uh, say that you get discriminated against and then you go to the judge and the judge is like, oh yeah, that's bullshit, man. Fuck this. And then it's like, goes up and up. And then the final decider is literally like the secretary of the treasury. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what it would be like. It would be like if like, uh, who's the secretary? Who was the last secretary of anything? Like, I don't even fucking know. But like, it's basically the bureaucrats decide. They have the final decision, like one person. It's not a court. Well, the thing is, Isaac, you can trust them. What? You can trust the bureaucrats. Have faith in the party. Yes, yes. Have faith in the party. That's exactly uh, how it is. All right. Now, did you have any role in drafting the Trans-Pacific Partnership? <laughs> <laughs> no, but that what those those uh it's a great it's a great question because actually those whatever was before the TPP uh was definitely a part of our day-to-day -day at that law firm. I think it was called the like there was some other thing in there, but uh yeah. All right. Now I just want to jump back a moment because you talked about what we talked about before we got on the show about Rush V and your book kind of looking like his book or his <laughs> books. So he's got books like uh, Bang Lithuania. Oh my God, dude, so there you go. So similar. Oh, it's yeah, it's terrible. it's that black cover, white font, simple everything. Right. So is it possible that he copied me? He's been doing this a while. I don't know. I don't. No, no. Your book was in 2015. He definitely didn't copy you. you. It looks like you copied him. Now he also has a book. He also has a book called "Don't Bang Denmark." So apparently, Denmark women are less desirable, according to Rouge. What year? Oh, let's look into that. Let's take a look. Amazon.com, 2011. Ooh, 2011. Fuck. Yeah, Rush V. The funny yeah. thing about him, though, for anybody who doesn't know who he is, he's Jeez. back in the day. Back in the day, this was pre-Gamergate, pre all that, all that stuff. He was in the the pickup artist scene, you know, um, the manosphere, if you will. Yeah, it's I like remember. the I, I the men's internet. So he he had a forum, but he totally switched. So he's kind of an alt-right guy now, but he's a he's like an orthodox Christian, and he's totally yeah. against everything that he stood for in terms of just banging chicks everywhere. Right. Well, let me say two things. One, I'm shocked at the similarity in the fucking in the fucking things. I didn't design my book cover, by the way. I had a good friend of mine design it, but I, I, it's like, I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah. It's very fucking similar, man. And it's was, like, was your friend a Rush V fan? No, <laughs> I don't know. So I don't know how that happened, but, uh, yeah, well, yeah, it sucks. Where do you stand on this as a married man? You're, you're always very silent on these topics. Are Wait, you, uh, pick up are you a Christian? Are you a Christian, Nathan? I was baptized. You know, 
But are you a Christian today? Do you go to church? I believe in God. Um, I like Jesus, church? but I, I'm not a I'm not a churchgoer. I'm so I'm kind of spiritual, you know. I'm like kind of a spiritual person. <laughs> no, no, but I I do believe in God. I like Jesus, but I'm not a practicing Christian. I I quite like the Ten Commandments. I quite like a lot of that stuff, the the, the basics, you know. And I like some of the stories. When I was a kid, I really liked those Bible cartoons. I I lived across the street from some Mormons in California, Southern California, where you were at, Orange County though. Some Mormons across the street, nice people. I go to their house, eat like a grilled cheese, watch a couple Bible videos. Good times, you know. So where did you grow up in OC? Uh, I was in Mission Viejo. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my that was. That was the first place, or sorry, that was the last place I lived in America before going abroad the first time, and I moved. That was in 1994. We left Mission Viejo for Taipei, Taiwan, and that was like my first wow. stint as an expat. As an eight-year-old, what was that like going to school in Taipei at, at eight years old? It was great, man. I mean, it was Taipei American School, really good school, like really great facilities, amazing campus. And this is in the '90s. I mean, I'm sure it's probably even better now. They probably have a lot more money. They had a lot of rich Taiwanese people going there, like a lot of their kids going there. So English-speaking Taiwanese people is very Chinese, uh, socially speaking. You know, like the social life of students. Very Chinese, but there was a good portion of Westerners and, and people from other countries all over the world. Um, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a great place to be at the time. Taiwan in the '90s was was banging. Like I wish I could have been an Taiwanese, adult. Did the Taiwanese have a sort of like we're better than the Chinese thing? I mean, there's there's people who definitely like scoff at the Chinese Communist Party. I don't think. Yeah, and there's there's some elitism, I would say. You know, I think you get that in Hong Kong, too. You know, like mainlanders are a little less cultured, a little rougher around the edges. But that's not everybody. Not everybody thinks that way in Taiwan. And in fact, a ton of nowadays, tons of people from Taiwan go to the mainland for work because the economy is way better. You can make a lot more money in mainland. So they, they can't really afford to be condescending, you know. So when were you turned to be a Chinese spy along along the way? Like, when did you get... <laughs> that was in 2014. No, 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 I'm just kidding. I'm not a Chinese spy. Really, I'm not. In fact, I... This might be controversial for some of my friends back in China, but I hate the Chinese Communist Party. I don't like them. I think Whoa, they suck. So I think... Working for the, okay, so you're working for the uh, Epoch Times then. Uh, yeah, yeah, and Steve Bannon. I'm, I'm working for him too. No, I'm not. But they're, they're, Steve Bannon is kind of hooked up, or was at least, with this sort of breakaway Chinese movement that wants to create an alternate nation, like another Chinese nation separate from the CCP, separate from Taiwan, separate from Hong Kong. It's like a new national party or something like that. All right. We're getting into dead air territory. You're just nodding your head, well, but no, I, listeners I can't not, hear I anything. <laughs> All right. Well, when did you become a spy for the Zionists? 
for the Zionists, right? I'm like actually a deep Israeli. I wish, man. You know, they flew me out there and I, uh, they flew me out and I did the whole birthright. I did birthright. My birthright. Uh, yeah, I did it. I, I went there and I did the whole thing and it was just the corniest. It was so corny, dude. You get off the plane and it's like they sit you in these fucking kumbaya circles and then they put you on a bus and they blindfolded me. I don't know how much it is for everybody else, but for my thing, they blindfolded me. And then it's like perfectly timed. So you get to the top of Masada at sunrise. So it's like we got in at 3 a.m. or whatever, and they got us to Masada at six. And then they play super corny music, like da da da. And then they whip off the blindfold and you like look over on the top of Masada. And it was just like, I was just like, this is the most cringeworthy experience I've ever fucking seen. And they now just we- try to indoctrinate you so hard all the time. And they just think like, if we keep just hammering you, you're just gonna like, be like, yeah, Israel's the best. And it's like, it fucking sucks, man. And the thing is like, the Israelis I probably connect with the most are like the ortho like Haredi who are like the real Jews. Like those are the people who are actually still practicing Judaism. 80% of the people there are just these kind of like globalist vague, like I'm Jewish and like my life is great in Tel Aviv, you know, who really have nothing to do with like Judaism at all. They're just like random people. Now, hold on. Are you saying the black, the black, Israelites are not the real Jews. Are fake. Well, you know, Israel, like, and this is something that'll for sure get this taken down. The Israel, like, tests genetically Ethiopians to see if they're Jewish or not. And to be like, hey, like, you know, you can't come in, which is so funny because it's like America, we view being an ethno state or like an ethnic nationalist religious state as the worst thing in the world. And Israel is literally a theocracy that like genetically tests for purity. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And yet it's our biggest ally. It's our biggest ally is Israel. It's like it's, it's our, a special relationship. Yeah. It's our biggest irony. Yeah. Really? Right. Yeah. Well, and all these Americans are like, I, the, it's a theocracy. I hate ethnic cleansing. It's like, yet every day you wake up and every single congressman you support is like 100% pro Israel. You know, it's like it's the, the levels of hypocrisy here. Are well, they're all I mean, you even find out that they're part Jewish, too, like uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Isn't she Jewish or something? She she claims to be at least. Is she? She claims to be part Jewish. I don't know. But she oh, was pandering to somebody, some Jewish people. And she's like, well, I'm Jewish. Really? Oh yes. Look it up. YouTube that, bro. Anyways, I do like her. I do like her. I like. Well, she, I, I'm an AOC fan. I'm she's a, a pro AOC. I mean, you like her she's ideas. So you like her ideas, she's or you like the so way she hot. looks? I like the way she looks. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Like Some tiggle something I'm, I'm, going on there. Exactly. Okay, I'm saying is she Jewish? Reveals Jewish ancestry at Hanukkah event. Yep. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, you're Jewish, right? I got Jewish friends, and I'm not just saying that. I really do. 
And, uh, you know, my, my buddy, my, my Jewish buddy was telling me about birthright. And he was telling me that they trying to make you have sex with girls all the time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yep. Sure. Can you tell me more about that? I, I mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't like, it's not like, you know, I, I, what did he say? Did they, they, like, they literally like, I mean, what does that mean? What did they do to him? Like they were constantly trying to hook people up and encourage people to find a beautiful lady in Tel Aviv or something like that and make some babies and all that. Sure, sure. And they pay for it. If you get married to a woman that you meet on birthright, they pay for it. They pay for the wife? The wedding. Okay. The Jewish people, they don't uh, sell the wife to it. It's a free choice, you know? It's, uh, <laughs> All right. Thank you, Borat. All right. Going back to Vietnam, though, I wanted to ask you, what is your opinion of pho or pho or however the hell you call it? You mean Antifa? No, I mean the noodle dish famous from Vietnam. I'm sure there's plenty of pho places in LA. Yeah, there's a lot of pho. I, uh, well, so actually the best pho in America is in a place called Little Saigon, which is in Orange County. And that has the largest population of Vietnamese people outside of Vietnam. And it is unbelievable. If you go down to Little Saigon, you will not believe your eyes. There is, well, you know, my wife and I went down there to have a bowl of pho recently. And it's like, a mobbed, it's like a diner that is mobbed with Vietnamese people. We were the only white people for like a hundred miles. I mean, not literally, but there was no other white people there. We waited in this long ass line and we were like, this is gonna take forever. It took like three seconds. We came in, you sit at a table, you press a button, it's fluorescently lit all around you. And there's three items on the menu. It's like, beef uh, beef uh, with like tripe and then like tea <laughs> and you have no choices there's no appetizers you just press the button they bring you both uh, you eat it and you leave it takes you like 10 minutes it's amazing it's like they're trying to make a restaurant but it's like not a restaurant it's just like eating pho at a table for five seconds it's an but assembly it line so good. what it's an assembly line yeah it's a fucking assembly line Right. But it's now, so good. It's like the best of the best. The thing like is, pho. Oh, sorry, I cut you off. Delay again. No, I was no, just going to no, say, no, no, no. I've had a lot of bad pho in my day. In Shanghai, there's a lot of pho. And I feel like I can't judge it because I, I it's always been very bland in my experience. And I'm just wondering, have has every place I've been to that has pho just been bad pho? Or is pho really good? No, I know exactly what you mean. And I've had a similar experience. And it's like, I, I for so long, I had it. And I was like, wait, why? Who gives a fuck? Why is this good? Like, this is not good. What's the, all the rage about? And uh, you will, if you keep trying it, you will one day hit that, that right bowl of fun. And you'll be like, oh, okay, now I understand like why this is so amazing. But it does take, it does take a lot of time, for sure. I mean, yeah. it, in Vietnam it happens a lot more frequently. I mean, the pho in Vietnam is like, the food in Vietnam is unbelievably good. It's like, I mean, cause I think they have the French influence too. So it's like, 
it's like the Thai who are already perfect at food times the French who are perfect at food. It's like, they are just incredible. Any meal you get in Vietnam is gonna be like really good. So they have a uh, baguette? They have baguettes, they have banh mi sandwich. You've heard of that. I'm a huge banh mi sandwich guy. I love them. Oh, so you don't like pho, but you do like banh mi. Well, the ones, the, the pho places in Shanghai also made banh mi sandwiches and those were good. But the, the pho was so bland. And okay, how many of those restaurants in LA that you talked about, how many of their names are a pun on pho? Because in Shanghai, it was like pho real, pho sizzle, pho show, pho something. You know, it was always a pun. What is pho sizzle a pun of? Okay, that was just a lazy name. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, it's like pho. And it's like, we're like sizzling over here. Yeah. Like, like Antifa which should be a restaurant. But uh, no, yeah, I hear you. No, in, in Little Saigon, there is none of that shit. There's no pho king, you know? Philosophy and pho king in Vietnam. <laughs> I was literally going to name it that. There we go. All right. Okay, jumping over to another media venture of yours, the now defunct. Oh, let me adjust this. Sorry. This is so much talking about me. Well, you are the guest, so you can find this podcast. Not a huge fan. You can find it on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. This is Isaac's podcast, which he hasn't done for seven months or so. What's What's this podcast that about? The, that shouldn't be the last one that's on there. I think there's a. I think there's a couple. Maybe it's just not on Stitcher. The the latest ones. But uh, there's a couple of better ones. You can get it. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple. But yeah, no, we haven't done it for six months. And I, I don't think we're ever going to go back, to be honest. But we did it for four years. Four fucking years. Every week. So what's the show about? Uh, nothing, really. You know, I mean, like the idea was... Um, the original idea was to... Uh, okay, so the reason it's called Not a Huge Fan is because Charles, when he started it, the original idea was about two people getting in a room and talking about all the things they don't like about each other. So, you know, like just totally no holds barred, just shitting on each other's like personality, which, uh, you know, sounds great. But actually, I think the problem he ran into was that it's like, you need two new people every time. You can't have the same guy over and over. Like that would be great to have two celebrities do that over and over and just two people you don't know. But he was running into trouble because it was just like people shitting on him over and over again. So he was looking for a uh, side host and we had done an episode together where we were shitting on each other and it did like really well. Like it was by far his most downloaded ever. And just because I think, I don't know, we just like really were shitting on each other in like a good way. I don't know why. And so he was like, hey, why don't you just come be my co-host? Uh, and it had such a good name. Not a huge fan. It's like such a good name for a podcast. So I was like, all right, well, I've been trying to do that anyway. So, uh, you know, we did it when we did it for like four years, you know, and it's it, it's actually it's sad that we didn't anymore. But I, I'm also glad that we, you know, we gave it a real shot. And, uh, you know. Absolutely nothing happened, which is what actually happens when you try and do stuff. 
Yeah, so the last <laughs> couple episodes that I at least saw online, they were like last June. It was kind of covering a lot of the heat from the summer. Last summer, a lot of the unrest. Was was your show very political? Yeah, it was pretty political. Okay, short answer. Do you recommend the show, or is it like your book where you don't want to tell people to buy it? There's a few episodes in there that are really good. You know, there's a couple episodes, especially towards the end when we had just done it for so long and we'd gotten really good, that are really fucking good. And, And they're just like raw and real and just like really like stuff I'm proud of and I'm, I'm glad they're still out there um there's also a lot of them that are in there that are completely terrible you know I mean we had Bridget Phetasy on you know shortly before we left which was a very funny fiasco because like most things <laughs> like the Nazis I went in without having any fucking clue who Bridget Phetasy was and so you know uh I was supposed to like kiss Bridget Fetessy's ass, but I get in there. It's a Sunday. I've been up since fucking 6 a.m. You know, I'm hungover as fuck. And I waltz in and I'm just like drinking cups of whiskey. And she's sober and she's like a Rogan guest. And like, I'm supposed to be fucking impressed. And of course, I'm just like, <laughs> like, who the fuck are you? Like, I don't care. And she's and she has this thing where she reveals as this I'm I'm supposed to know that she uh, sells pictures of herself on like OnlyFans, more or less. You know what I mean? Like, she's like sells the pics of her boobs on OnlyFans. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not, you know, hey, I wrote a book called Philosophy in Fucking Vietnam. I'm not hating on it. But I I was like, whoa. <laughs> you know, like I was very taken aback because I was just, you know, she's just like political commentator. And then she's like, oh yeah, I sell boob pics. And I was like, that's crazy. And I totally get it. Like, I understand why she would do that. And I, I'm not judging it in any way. I'm genuinely not. But she took major offense to my reaction. Uh, of surprise well she'd probably hate my reaction because i don't okay i i followed her for a while i follow her on twitter i think she's funny i think she's interesting i don't like her boobs though i don't think her boobs are anything special they're nothing to pay money for she's just a she's like a not only fans girl that shows her boobs so she's like oh is it's so rare yeah check it out i don't give a shit about your boobs bridget fantasy Totally agree. I mean, I mean, I know I, I, I don't agree about uh, making judgments about her physical characteristics, but she's I putting am- them on the market. She's the one putting them on the market, not me. If she wants me to be a, a consumer, you know, I'm gonna look through all my choices. I'm such a great consumer. I read reviews. I read white papers, and the white papers on her boobs ain't looking very good, my friend. You're shorting that stock, is what you're saying. You're going to short the uh, Bridget Fetasy boobs. I am the Wall Street cabal when it comes to shorting Bridget <laughs> Fetasy's boobs. 
you're going to deplatform anybody <laughs> that is pro Bridget Tennessee's boobs. Like they are off. I'm just I'm sending OnlyFans an email tonight and be like, take these boobs down. <laughs> Unacceptable. These are racist insurrectionist fucking boobs. These need to go. They really are. They really are. And that's really what we need to drive off the internet right now. If we could all just come together, put our differences aside, we could get Bridget Bridget Fetissy's boobs off the internet. If those tits were off the internet, people would really be able to like get over their differences. It's like they're just they're Dude, just they could be violent, so much more productive. Voting violence. Yeah. All right, <laughs> yeah, that was good. So, Bridget Fetissy, we can we can move on from that. Uh, can we can I go back to questions? Don't Bang Denmark, Sleep with Danish. <laughs> oh my god, this book is so ridiculous. Okay, sorry, moving on. And, uh, that was so not what I wanted. But wait, can I ask you questions? Yeah. So, how did you meet your wife? All right, so my wife is from Austin, Texas, where I'm living right now. We were on a study abroad program in 2006 in a city called Chengdu. It's kind of like the hippie capital of China, you could say. It's like the it's a kind of a cool laid back city, famous for hot pot, famous for being really relaxed and down to earth in in China, like Chinese culture wise. The women there are really beautiful is what everybody says. They say they're so they're so white. That's a beauty standard in China. And it's not like a white supremacist thing. It's like a it's like a classist thing. It's like, oh, you're white. You didn't have to work in the fields. You're, you know, yeah. you're so well off. Yeah. And then in it's Chengdu, the it's... Vietnam. In Vietnam, they like rub white stuff. You know, like here, they women tan. There they, it's the opposite. Like they want to be white. Anyways, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of skincare that's whitening and, and all that, and it's very problematic, blah, 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 blah. You know, um, but in Chengdu, it's very cloudy. So the women are very white because there's not as much sunshine, and then they're more beautiful, apparently. But anyways, the food is amazing. The color or the skies? What's it, uh, what, what, say again? You said it was very cloudy. Yeah. In terms of the skin or the sky? The sky. Yeah, the sky. And it, and it sheltered these lovely Chengdu ladies, which, okay, I'm just going to give you my opinion right here. I don't think women in Chengdu are any more pretty than, you know, Changsha, Shanghai, Beijing, Guangzhou, any other city in China. I don't think Chengdu has anything special in terms of, like, good-looking people, but it's a cool place. So I met my wife there in 2006. We were on a study abroad program. It was like all these different American college kids from all, all these different schools from around the country, all in one big apartment suite in Chengdu. It was like the real world. It was like a reality show. And I met her there, and we've been together ever since. That was in 2006. So it's 2020 now. We've been, or sorry, 2021 now. We've been married uh, about 10 and a half years. Wow. That's awesome, man. And so, uh, You've been married 10 and a half years, but together for like 15. Yeah. Wow. And so is she uh, a Christian? She's a liberal, man. Is she? Yeah. Yeah, she's a is liberal, man. So does that mean bad? she's a Christian? No, she's not. I mean, I, I can't really speak to her childhood. I wasn't there. I don't know if she's baptized, but she's not a 
practicing Christian. She does. She doesn't want to go to church. Yeah, she's not very Christian. I'd say though, she's a good person though. I mean, I think Jesus would like her. I think that's fair. Right. Well, how about your wife, Isaac? Is she uh, like a fundamentalist? No, she's like an L.A. girl, like very like ultra comes from a very ultra liberal family. All right. Why do you keep asking me about Christian stuff? Why does that keep coming up? I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out who you are, man. Are you like a Nazi? No, like a Christian Nazi. <laughs> no, 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 no. All right. No, I'm not. Uh, you know, that's not why. I, I'm just just trying to, uh, you know, figure out as many stereotypes about who you are as possible, so I can put you in a very small box and then understand who you are. Okay, that's fair. I mean, I am bald. There's a lot of bald stereotypes, yeah, right? That's basically. Yeah. That's basically just, just go in, roast me. Right now. <laughs> I got the ring light on. My head is so shiny. So shiny. Did Just it, get in there. Wow, but you do the shave. So how did you decide? What would it look like if you didn't shave the head? Uh, you know those guys who have comb-overs? It would look like that. Oof. Yeah. That so I, 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 I could grow some hair, but I want to be bald. It's better than being like half bald i guess being like a comb over guy i i tried that for a little while and then at, at one point it was just uh diminishing returns you know so i just shaved it all yeah. off 2012 shaved it all off that's good i i think i would you know uh uh yeah we'll see i might get there i might get there you know we'll see what happens see you what look happens like you have a pretty good head of hair i mean i see a little receding a little bit it's receding a little. It's definitely receding a little. Like it's like I've got a good, I've got a good widow's peak that can kind of cover the damage pretty well. You know what I mean? So it's like I can keep it sort of like not looking too bad. But we'll see, man. You know, it's just gonna keep going back and back. As they say, everybody's balding. It's just a matter. Of, you know, it's like we're all bald. It's just how long does it take you to get there? Do you die first or do you go bald first? What I like to do is take like a Sharpie and then just color my head and then dye the hair black. And then it all just kind of blends together. Dye what hair black? Like the existing hair. That, well, you can kind of oh, see. There's like a little bit now. I haven't shaved my head in a few days. But if I grew it out, I would have hair here, hair here, but like nothing on the top. So why is it because you drink like, uh, <clears throat> do you drink too much soda? Like, why did you go bald? Uh, so my grandfather was on my mother's side was bald. So they say that that's like the genetic indicator, right? But there was a trigger moment when it started to fall out. I was studying in Beijing in 2007 for like a whole spring semester. And I was taking a shower Same every morning. Your wife. Uh, a year later. A year later, after meeting her, and she was actually in the states while I was in Beijing, so that that was that was six months long distance. That was tough, but we got we got through it. But anyways, that's when my hair started falling out. And I and the thing is, it started after I got salmonella. I got salmonella at Chinese hot pot in Beijing. Some asshole ordered chicken at hot pot, 
And you don't do that. I know it's on the menu, yeah, yeah. but you don't do that. Yeah, no chicken and hot pot. Absolutely yeah, what, what were they thinking? So hot pot is like a big boiling pot of water and oil and spices and broth. And and you put there's your own food in there. In sorry, say again? Anyway, sorry. No, there's an amazing... So Pasadena is like... There are elements of Pasadena that are rich Chinese people that are so rich that it's like rules don't apply to them. So there's a hot pot place down the street that has these huge fucking bowls and it's so good and delicious and amazing. And you would go over there right now and it's full of people. And they're in the back because they're these like Chinese billionaires that they don't give a fuck. Anyway, sorry. No, keep going. I want to hear this balding story. Wait. Oh, you're wait. You're not. I can't hear you. Your sound stopped working. All right. Sorry about that. Oh, there you are. Sorry there about that. I got I'm you. here. I got you. You're I'm back. Here. Tech error. Uh, hold on. Let me pull up Hot Pot so everybody watching can find out what that is. It's really good. Good hot pot is like oh my god so good. Hey, there you are. You're I shouldn't. I, sh I shouldn't have drank while doing this show. Okay, this is a hot pot. It's a big boiling pot of broth and oil. You put different ingredients inside. Could be vegetables, tofu, could be meat. the The prime selection is really like thinly cut beef, and it cooks really fast and it's delicious. Chicken, on the other hand, doesn't cook fast. It's it thicker not cook cut. Fast. And then I took a bite in 2007, winter, Beijing. I take a big bite of what I think is cooked chicken. It's like dark because the broth, it was a spicy broth. And it's cold. And I just swallow it. I was drinking, I swallow it. 30 minutes later, I'm shitting my guts out. And it's like black. 30 my minutes? Shit is, yeah, so fast. It was like black. It was disgusting. And then I go to the doctor, I have salmonella, and then my hair started Jeez. falling out. Holy shit, dude. It was the yep. chicken that did it to me. Yeah, but I think it was inevitable. I think it would have happened sooner or later. It was just the trigger. This just accelerated. This accelerated. The... Wow, that's a crazy story, though. That's, that's, yeah. I can't believe it only took 30 minutes. I feel like it usually takes longer, but it was just immediate. Just Yeah, people were telling me, like, well, usually food poisoning takes at least 24 hours. I'm like, no. Yeah. If you eat some raw chicken, you might be on the toilet for eight hours within 30 minutes. Jesus. How long were you out? How long were you shitting and puking? I'd say about 10 days. I was not feeling oh good. God. Yeah, yeah, it was a long time, and then the hair started falling out. So I mean, I had really bad fevers, and it was it was not a good situation. Yeah, I feel like the life of an expat, just for like the sake of this series, is uh, you're sick a lot of the time. <laughs> like I think people don't really realize like how often you're sick because you're just not used to like anything that's happening you know I, yeah when i was in vietnam or any of the times i've lived abroad so or lived you know extended stay but yeah like once you settle in you get sick a lot 
There was this place in Nanchang where I used to work from 2008 to 2012. I was an English teacher at the Nanchang Institute of Technology. I was a foreign expert. It sounds really dignified, but I was just an English teacher. And there was a place called Jiji Hong. It was a hot place, hot pot place. So I got my own voice in my ears and it's thrown me off. Sorry. I know. Well, you yeah, got to yeah. stop that, man. You, you just shouldn't listen to it at all. It's the setup. It's I got to know, like, okay, I don't want to get into it on the show. We can talk about it later. But anyways, Gigi right, right, right. Hong, you eat there one night. The next morning, guess how many times you shit. Gigi, I can't, but how many? At least eight times. And it's a very auspicious number in China. So maybe it's lucky. I don't know. Maybe you should eat Gigi Hong and shit eight times. It might be good fortune. I don't know. But you would shit eight times. And it wasn't just shitting. You know when you puke and you've been drinking a lot and it's like these heaves. It's like, it was like that, but your ass. And it was a heaving ass motion. It was horrible. Jesus. Gigi Hong. Eight shits. (laughs) <laughs> well, in Gigi Hong, if it, there's a Chinese pun, it means like your dick is red. Gigi is dick, and red is red is Hong. So it's like dick red, haha. Like everybody <laughs> likes to have a good laugh out of that. You know, like Chinese dudes would be like, "Oh, you know about Gigi Hong? Dick red, huh? You know what I mean? Yeah." <laughs> but yeah, it's they've. You can look it up. They've had a lot of um, issues with cleanliness. And reusing broth, reusing oil from previous customers who left. So the food is not very clean and you shit for, I don't know, eight times. And it's like butt heaves. It's, it's, it's like a dry heave out of your ass. Oof. It sounds like gas. I think there's a word for that. It's called gas. No, no, there's no gas coming out. It's like a... It's that heave, man. It's like this body motion. You know, it's like your diaphragm is involved somehow. I don't know how, but it is. It's involved. Now, in Vietnam, though, what's the weirdest thing you ate? What's what? What's the weirdest thing you ate in Vietnam? I ate dog. I ate dog. Do you feel proud of that? Dog. Are you proud of eating a dog? dog? Yeah, I do feel proud. I feel fucking proud that I ate dog. So you ate man's best friend. And you feel proud. Yeah, well, it's kind of taboo there, too. It's not It's not like there's just dog. It's not like you like go to the local thing and there's like dog on the menu. It's not like you like go down the street and it's like, have some dog. It's like, it's hard to find. You have to, you have to go far and seek it out. In Nanchang, where, I, where you can get Gigi Hung, dog is on the menu almost everywhere. Really? Yeah. They try to play this up in China. They're like, oh, no, no, dog is kind of a rarity. It's kind of an unusual thing. Sure, in Shanghai and Beijing, it is. You go out into the provinces. You go to those major cities in the provinces. There's there's a dog district. There's a place where it's all dog restaurants. It's like dog hot pot. Keeps you warm in the winter. When you eat a dog, it makes your body more warm. Good for health. That's the philosophy over there. What's the weirdest thing you ate? Um, I don't know. It's nothing that crazy. I never ate dog. I just never wanted to. I just felt like it wasn't right. Man's best friend after all. But I'm not judging you. But maybe like pig brain or something. I've eaten some bugs. 
You know, it's nothing that crazy. But yeah, like entrails, brains. Like the bugs. Like all the bugs. You know, like the big bag of bugs. You ever go to, like in Cambodia, you go to Cambodia, it's all like big bags of crazy fucking bugs and like people eat them. Well, I never actually did that in China. I ate bugs in America. It was like, you ever see those like crickets in a sack? It's like a novelty snack and there's like crickets and there's salt and vinegar flavor. Those are pretty shit. They taste like dirt. And then when I was camping, I did this three work, sorry, three week wilderness adventure thing. And when I was in high school and I ate some ants just because they're in my bowl. And I was like three weeks in the woods, no shower. (laughs) I was like, whatever. I'll just eat the ants. <laughs> just because you were hungry and then they were there. Not even. It was just I don't want to. I don't want to bother getting them out of my food. I'm just gonna eat it all. The ants and everything. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's funny. They're just extra bits of protein with the ants. Yeah, they always say, "Well, you gotta eat your protein." Bugs have a high protein, but they're so small. How much protein is it though? I don't know how much protein really is in bugs. Well, this is the this is the whole thing on 4chan, right? It's like you will eat bugs. <laughs> you know, like you will live future. in the pod. You will eat yeah, the you bugs. Will eat bugs. <laughs> <Soylent>. <laughs> Only legal food. <laughs> there are some people pushing that, and it's weird. Like, why do you keep pushing these bugs? So like, you think global warming is going to be solved by eating bugs? Yeah. Get fired. Tiny houses eating bugs. It's just like you know. The perspective is that the elite just want more for themselves. So they're like, it's cool to live in a tiny house and eat bugs. You know, that's that's exactly what they're doing. These weirdos. And okay, how do you feel about what's going on with this Wall Street bet stuff and GameStop and the other the other meme stocks? What do you think about that? The topic of the day, the topic of the day. Um, I would say that. I am so pro it, but it's also so funny to see all these people that were cheering the death of Parler now up in arms at Robin Hood. You know, it's like five seconds ago, you were 100% okay with Parler deplatforming millions of people who don't agree with you. The and thing is, today, Isaac, they're a private company. They can do whatever they want. Right. And it's like, oh, well, Robinhood's a private company. Why can't they do whatever they want? And they're like, no. You know, and, and so it's like the hypocrisy always bothers me. But at the same time, I think it's very good. Like, I'm, 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 I'm happy that that side is now seeing, uh, you know, what the other side has seen for a long time, you know, which is being deplatformed fucking is very frustrating. So I'm very excited right now. I think this is this great unifying moment for the United States of America and people all around the world for that matter. This is a populist movement, bipartisan, you know? I know that some people in the media are trying to call it like some Nazi thing, like, oh, they just want to take out the Jewish bankers. Or they're saying it's like a Russian thing even. They're even pulling the Russian card. Oh my god! No, because they're trying to paint it in any way they can to make it go away. So they're they're being like they're insurrectionists. Did you see the main hedge fund guy called them insurrectionists? Because they're like, okay, well, if we call them insurrectionists, then they can be banned. But they're not. They're just a bunch of people 
fucking over these hedge funds, which they should totally be allowed to do because, you know, fuck these hedge funds. Yeah, exactly. It's just people saying, hey, buy this stock. It's funny. Should that be illegal? Yeah. I don't think so. I mean, yeah. I saw there's a Forbes headline that said that, ha, 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 like GameStop. But really, the real heroes are the short sellers. Literally, they said short sellers are heroes. Forbes. Well, dude, that's the PR machine, man. I mean, and this is something that I think most people don't really, maybe they do understand, but they, but they don't understand that uh, I would say probably six out of 10 of the stories that you read online are the direct result of a press release that is paid for. You know, people don't understand that. Sure, those are heroes. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? There's going to be a million things like this because they have, uh, you know, they're, how much is Edelman a month? Edelman is what, 30 grand a month? You know, the, the best PR agency in the world. What do PR agencies do? They get articles published. That's what they fucking do. So if you're paying 30 grand a month and then, oh, crisis time, you know what? I'm a multi, multi-millionaire. I'm going to give you 90 grand a month, Edelman. What are you going to do, Edelman? You're going to get shit like this published all day. And then you're going to get shit in the New York Times. You're going to get shit everywhere. When I was a journalist, I got, I had literally people reaching out to me. I had somebody reach out to leave me on LinkedIn and be like, hey, can we pay you covertly to mention our brands in your stories? Like not, not, uh, not directly, not like a press release. I got a million press releases a day. This was like a covert deal that they were going to give me like a certain amount of money per article if I just randomly mentioned their brand. So think about how many journalists are out there making no money that are taking that deal a lot. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, we work in marketing. You and me both work in marketing. So there's regulations there. If you're putting a paid sponsorship up on social media, like an Instagram post and you mention a brand and it's sponsored, you got to tell them that it's sponsored, but they were trying to go around that. Exactly. They're trying to go around that and they're trying to get any earned media that they possibly can, you know, and, and these people, they have really good relationships with journalists. And what's really sad today is that it's like, I think the way that the landscape works is everybody is so compliant. You know, every, everybody's like, best friends with each other. You know, it's like, oh, my best friend works at Edelman. And then it's like the best friends write each other emails and they're like, my best friend told me to write about this today. And then they write about it. And then it's like people somewhere along the way forgot that being a journalist is a lonely, isolated, shitty, angry position where you're supposed to be talking shit about everybody all the time. You're not supposed to just be like sharing what the big company wants to talk about you know it's like that's not your job do you know that new york times writer taylor lorenz oh do i yeah do like I ever? She, she okay she was promoting a lot of uh kellyanne conway's daughter who had a tiktok account she's promoting her a lot people were saying like maybe you shouldn't be exposing this 15 year old girl to your audience she's like no we're like mutuals we're mutuals on TikTok. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very, you know, I think um, 
Oh man, I can't say this because I'm it's too sensitive. But once I'm super rich, I can talk more a lot more about uh, my experiences in the corporate sphere of today's world. But I can't really talk about that now because uh, you know you had to make money. because because of the corporate sphere of the world. Oh, well, you you have to make money and like I'm not a martyr, you know. I've I've never been a martyr type. I don't really want to like die for the cause. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's just kind of nice to go home to your wife and you have. I don't want to give away too much of your privacy, but you know, maybe you're gonna have a kid. You go home to your kid. It's gonna be nice. You know, that's a, that's a good life. You don't need much more than that. At the end of the day, I'm actually pretty like simple in the things that I like to do. I basically like to like drink with my friends and hang out with my wife and watch movies. And it's like, that's pretty much it. And so it's like, I'm not really one of these people that need to like be a zealot in some cause. You know, sometimes I get caught up in that shit, but ultimately I think the best thing you can do for yourself in today's world is just not go on the internet. You know, so, so you don't want to be up. Mike Enoch. You want to be like uh, you want to be like Winslow from Family Matters. Uh, which one? I aren't they all the Winslows? Well, the the dad is what I mean. I mean, obviously, you're not a police officer in Chicago, but you're a family man. Right. I think that that's the best thing you can do. You know. For for the world and for the white race. No, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Whoa! Hey. <laughs> that, was, that was a complete joke. That was a complete joke. I, I'm totally joking. I didn't learn all that 14 words for white race. Oh shit my god! On that stupid. I didn't know about any of that stuff. And then it's like I was like, wow, there's this whole world out here of all these people. You know. It's wild, man. So you go on 4chan and you see it, but Telegram, you see a lot of that. Yeah, it's 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 a different world. It's because when you ban something, people are fucking into it. It's it's all forbidden knowledge, dude. It's like if you didn't ban it, people think by banning it they're like depowering it. It's like it doesn't work that way. That's that's why in the Enlightenment era, the founding fathers of America were like, okay, well, how do we build a really good new government? How about we don't kill people that say things we don't like? Because they were like, that doesn't work. They learned from history and they were like, that doesn't really work very well when we just kill everybody that disagrees with us. So they made the first amendment, which is a great amendment, but you know, uh, like any system, it has its flaws. And I think now we're sort of seeing um, some of those flaws. Yeah, I mean, really, the exactly what you said. Deplatforming, they think it's helping, but it's really just driving people to darker corners of the internet. They're going to be radicalized more. They have more... There's, like, more incentive. It's, it's like, hey, this is forbidden knowledge. And people get really into that. And they get deep into those circles, and they get more radicalized. So the more of this deplatforming, the more of this censorship with big tech in America, the the more Nazis you're going to make, I'm afraid. Absolutely. No, For absolutely. Sure. And watch, mark my words, Reddit, Wall Street bets, for sure, will be dead within within a year. Dude, they're going to they start calling them, 
They're going to call them financial terrorists. I guarantee exactly. in the next several days, financial terrorists will be the name. Well, no, but it'll be more compelling than that. They, they will spend millions of dollars researching the moderators of the forum and finding out that the moderators of the forum posted uh, anti-feminist hate speech on some other thing. And then it'll, you know, they're trying to do the same thing now in California with the people going against uh, Gavin Newsom. So in LA Times, again, we're talking about PR, in LA Times a week ago, sure enough, the article comes out in the LA Times. So right now, Gavin Newsom is trying to be recalled. Do you know what that means? Yeah, I've seen it. I don't even really know what it means, but I, I think it means like you have to, you know, he gets a recall election to try and get him out because that's a rule in California. So there's basically a recall in the election that got enough signatures, which is like a million signatures to get him out. And then sure enough, right after it gets enough signatures, there's an article in the LA Times saying, Gavin Newsom recall effort is run by proud boys and Nazis and people who are involved in the capital insurrection. And it's like, so then most of my friends here who are ultra liberal hate Gavin Newsom and are completely want him out, right? But now what's gonna happen? All those people, they're gonna be like, well, you're a Trump supporter if you wanna get Newsom out. And so then they're gonna get scared away from participating in that. And this is how they just control everything. Yeah, and they, they already started doing that with Wall Street bets. Like uh, Vice yeah. did some article calling them white supremacists. Of this, of yeah, course. you know. And some even are calling it Russian interference, you know. So they're they're pulling out all the usual playbook items. These are the standard playbook items that corporate media plays to run a narrative. That's just how it is. I've been telling people, watch AOC. Watch what she's saying. She's been very supportive of this, but when Ted Cruz agreed with her, she got really partisan. She's like, oh, you tried to kill me. I don't want your help. So if she starts going more partisan, then you know that she's owned by Wall Street. If she starts doing more unpartisan stuff, trying to help the people, because this is a very broad coalition of people who are supporting this. It includes Antifa. It includes white supremacists. It includes middle of the road, average Joe, average Jane. It's everybody except the elite who are into this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So if she I starts totally going agree. the course, a divisive course, it's over. She that means the government's not on her side. If AOC keeps the course that's very pro people, populism, then we have a chance, I'd say, with the government. I mean, fuck the government, really. Uh, like we can not, we can do something without that. Not to disappoint you in advance, bro, but no, yeah, she, those people are not going to take our side. You know, I mean, it's like the, we learned this with Trump, you know, I mean, Trump was the one, you know, he was a, like, they pulled out everything they had to destroy the guy, you know, they pulled out every possible thing they could to kill him and people forget it and it's going to be hilarious because history is not going to look badly upon trump you know all these people that we know now are going to be they're who hate 
Trump with the most visceral thing. Watch, those same people in 25 years will view Trump in kind of like a amusing, they'll be like, wow, that was crazy. You know, like he was an amazing, like aberration, you know, who came out of nowhere. And it was such a weird time to be alive. And, you know, he represented democracy in a way actually working. You know, I mean, I'm not saying anything he said was real or he it was a good idea to vote for him because it wasn't. Nothing was real. It, nothing happened. Absolutely nothing changed. It didn't make any fucking difference voting him for him or anybody else, right? But I think, uh, you know, at the end of the day, what his what he represented was just the fact that the entrenched system of power is not going anywhere. It's, it's stuck in there, man. And until something really actually happens, you know, they're saying the insurrection at the Capitol. It's like, no, the insurrection doesn't go home at the end of the day and then disappear. <laughs> you know, it's like the insurrection is a political party that's actually trying to take power. They're not protesters in Buffalo suits. You know, that's not what an insurrection is. Say, and, I, and I'll say the same thing on the left. The left, uh, you know, clowns, just like the clowns at the Capitol, took over Seattle, chop Chaz for, you know, they took over downtown Seattle for how long? People died, like 10 people got killed in that. And was and everybody knew though instinctively did those were those people actually taking over the city of seattle no they're just fucking clowns like the 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 actual power structure is so powerful they don't even care about that at all you know but what they do care about is the stock market and that's why this is such an important story because this was hitting them where they live. You can protest all day long. Does the stock market budge at all? Maybe not. No. It, it, I think not it did with the insurrection, insurrection, but uh, it bounces back the next day. You know? It bounces right back. Yeah. It makes no difference. Whereas this was real. And this yeah. actually hit them where it hurts, you know, and it scared them. And so you know, of course, they're going to do whatever they can to uh, shut that down because they just want to kill any element, any threat, any element. And they're so corrupt, you know, and, and I also don't even think it's like a day. I don't think it's like a guy sitting at a desk being like, I'm, you know, like, I want to fuck over America. I don't think it's like that. I just think it's like when you don't have checks and balances, chaos reigns basically. And and if you allow corruption to exist, corruption is going to exist and it's going to grow and get bigger and bigger. Yeah, I think a lot of people are going to wake up. Uh, you know, Trump was a bit of a smokescreen for the narrative or corporate media. They have a boogeyman. Now that he's gone. Yeah, yes. And people are rising up in these creative ways, like Wall Street bets. If the establishment goes against that, it's going to wake so many people up about what how the power structure works in this country. You know exactly. And yeah. it's it's such an opportunity for people not to just come together. I think this is a de-radicalizing moment. Like a lot of these people who are far right, far left, 
they can start coming together and they can start becoming more moderate together. I think that's a possibility for some people, but I think that the media is so powerful, they're going to try to twist this. They're going to turn they're going to bring in identity politics. They're going to try any stop they have to divide the movement like they did with Occupy Wall Street. Yep. And it's all down, you know, what Occupy Wall Street was, and I said this at the time, you know, I, I went and visited some Occupy Wall Street protests. And it was funny because it's the same phenomenon we're talking about now, where it was like the anger was real and the complaint was real at some level, but the execution was just absurd. Like, like you would say, like, what are you doing here? And there was sounds, no like like, sounds like a shitty you know, ad like, campaign. Yeah. Yeah, it's like what what is what is what are you even saying? And there was no like go line, you know. And I think what we're seeing is like you know in the American Revolution, the American Revolution began in like 1500. <clears throat> like there were the rumblings of you know rebellion against the overclass in America 200 years before 1776. What we're experiencing now, what Occupy Wall Street is now, what these little rumblings are, are really like the very beginning of something that's not gonna peak for a hundred years. You know, and, and we're, we're gonna kind of like live through the ramping up of this battle between people and this new global power structure, you know, this technocracy, whatever it is. But we're just getting started, man. I mean, this is not even, like, there's not going to be any real blows dealt to this establishment for a long fucking time. Because they're too entrenched. There's there's no way to get to them. You know, like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, we take, we trade some money on Wall Street. Like, that's going to hurt them a little tiny bit. But it's going to take a hundred years before uh, there's really a leader that is truly ready to like have an actual force of people that can threaten to take this group of people out of power. You know, it's, it's, it's just too entrenched. So what you're saying is putting Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill is not going to solve all her problems. <laughs> you know, she was very homophobic. So definitely not. Yes, yeah, canceled. Harriet, <laughs> enough with the gay bashing. All right, well, yeah. jumping back to the expat life, we went this American politics conspiracy theory tangent. What was the weirdest thing you experienced abroad? Could be Vietnam, could be anywhere else. Can I get more wine? Yeah. Is that allowed? You need to get up and go. Yeah, go ahead. I'll just I'll just start talking to the audience. I'll just I'll, I'll make sure there's no dead air. Now I'm also drinking. I'm drinking some Tozai sake. I bought it at a gas station today. I was drinking some Ozeki last episode, and I was thinking, hey, that went swimmingly. I'm gonna go for sake. Maybe every episode. I might do it every episode. I might do some hard seltzer from time to time. I might do some beer, maybe some whiskey. But sake has got a vibe. I like the sake vibe. It's like wine, but you drink it out of a little tiny glass. You shoot it down. Wow. 
That was an ad. That's an ad for Tozai. Tozai Tun Mijo. That's the Chinese of these characters, but this is Japanese. It's different than that. They use the same so goddamn long, alphabet. How long are these? Nathan, how long are your episodes? I mean, one to two hours, usually. Yeah. Whenever you're ready to stop, we just... Oh, let's keep going, man. Let's keep going. All right. I was just wondering. Cool. So what's the weirdest thing you saw in Vietnam or another foreign country? Or experienced, not just saw? The weirdest thing I've ever seen in a foreign country. Oh, for sure, the pedophiles in uh, Cambodia. And that, that's, where my, that's where my book ends. Is in Cambodia because that's like the ultimate sort of heart of darkness that I see, which is like open pedophilia in fucking Cambodia, which is truly fucking insane. I mean, we live in a we live in a fucking society that views pedophilia as the worst possible fucking thing, and to see just open old men with young children sexually is fucking horrifying. It's fucking horrifying. And it's like deeply upsetting. Yeah, and especially after having a son, I feel like I could easily put a gun to a pedophile's head and pull the trigger. Totally. Easily. I don't think it would be that hard. I mean, I I would love to do that. Like, I would love to hunt and kill pedophiles. I think that would be like a fun pastime. But it's like, it's, you know, I don't know. there there they don't even view it as a big deal it's like there it's like whatever what's the what's the problem (laughs) you know it's like what the fuck these children aren't even from here they're from myanmar yeah it's i don't even i mean to them it's god it's like i don't i don't know why they don't care but it's definitely like they don't seem to doesn't seem to bother the local populace i have a good buddy who lives over there. Um, he's not a pedophile, for the record. But he does like women. And, okay, I'll, tell, I'll just tell you my opinion. Controversial. I went to Cambodia once. I didn't see that many good-looking women. Not many. Oh, disagree. Disagree with that about the Cambodian women. I think there's many beautiful women in Cambodia. The Cambodians are a very interesting group. They're a very interesting people. You know, they... They have weird, like, uh, sometimes they have brown streaks in their hair. Did you see that? I went in 2013. And, yeah, I, some of them had, like, highlights. Yeah, you could say that. No, no, like, naturally. Oh, I, I didn't notice. The Cambodians are for sure, like, an interesting people. They're, they're a very, like, obscure, interesting group of people. Because, you know, you have the Thai who are one of the few non-colonized groups ever. Thai have never been colonized. You know, I think there's like three people on the planet that have never been colonized, Thai or one. So it's like, how the hell do they do that? And then you have the Vietnamese on the other side, which are like <clears throat> basically like Chinese light, you know? And then you have these Cambodians in the middle, in the middle who are, you know, they had this insane genocide and they're like a weird combo between the Vietnamese and the Thai. Like they're actually really like a cool, a cool people. I like, I really like Cambodia is so fucked up, but it's also like kind of awesome. 
I think there might be a lot of Vietnamese people who wouldn't have a problem killing you after you said they were Chinese light. Because they don't have the best relationship, Vietnam and China. You know they had a war like 40 years ago? It wasn't even that long ago. You know who lost? China. Really? Yeah, man. They had 1980. They had the Chinese-Vietnam War. They got their ass kicked. Chinese got their ass kicked. Yeah. China did? China got their ass kicked. They're trying to be all bull. After the the American War. Yes. Yeah, they're like, they're thinking, these guys, not only are they our Asian inferiors, you know, they have some like Chinese supremacy thing going on. They just got over, what, like a 10-year conflict with the Western powers. We can easily take them. They go in. They didn't last long. It was being amazed, man. They do not fuck around. They just, they will fight till the fucking death. They're so cool. The Vietnamese are great. Did you ever see In Bruges? Hell yeah. And I, I know what you're talking you know what about. Who are the Vietnamese draft? with? The blacks. Well, I want to be the same <laughs> yeah. side as the Vietnamese. <laughs> you want to be on the same side as the Vietnamese in any fucking conflict because they are going to win. They're never going to fucking lose. Yeah. Ho Chi Minh has a great quote where he was like, you know, <clears throat> what's going to happen in this war is they're going to come in here and they're going to say, we're going to kill 10 Vietnamese for every white man. And that's going to exactly what's going to happen. And we're going to win. <laughs> and he was exactly right. They killed like 10 Vietnamese for every white man and the Vietnamese still won. And Ho Chi Minh was like, yeah, kill all of us. Like, you're not going to, we're never going to stop. Like, we're never going to give up. Like, you don't understand what it is to be us. And I think that's so cool, man. And that's the the philosophy that Wall Street Bets needs to take. Get really Vietnamese with this (laughs) shit, man. Just get in there. In the shit. Digging holes with spikes in them. Sabotaging little U.S. You know who owns Reddit? The Tencent? Condé Nast. Yeah, yeah. But they have some... I think Tencent has stake in them, too. They got little Chinese money in there, too. It's done, man. It's done. Wall Street Bets is gone tomorrow. Wait, by the end of the week, it's going to be fucking banned. Well, they already went private. Like, a lot of people are saying, they've been banned, they're gone. But I subscribed to them a long time ago. I'm, I'm in there. So if you need any tips, I'm your man. Are you, I'm are your you insider. I, I do some crypto stuff, but I, I haven't done stocks in a long time. I mean, I, 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 I was a bit late to the game with the GameStop stuff. I feel like it's a little too late now. But I guess I could buy. I could buy tomorrow. I got What's a Charles Schwab account. What's that? What's it at? I don't know. It, it's fluctuating between like two, three hundred. I think the past several hours. Jesus. Okay. What now there's one question. Tweet? There's one question I ask every guest, and it's similar to the last question. One thing I notice about being overseas is that there's a bunch of fucking weird expats all over the place. Aside from the Cambodia pedophiles, who were some of the weirdest expats you met? Or were some of the weirdest expat encounters you had? I think the weirdest expats are women out there, you know, because I I think women 
I, I met a, a woman. So in Vietnam, the uh, people who grew up in America then go back are called Viet Q's. Viet Q. And Viet Q's are like, the Vietnamese fucking hate Viet Q's. Like uh, what the VAQs always say is like, when you come grow up abroad and then come back, when you get back, they'll harass you at the airport. They'll like search, strip search you. They like fuck with you. They push you against the wall because they hate VAQs. Because think about it, it's like the communists fucking won. So the VAQs are like, imagine the Miami Cubans coming back to Cuba and being like, hey, I'm here. You know, like people are gonna be like, no, fuck you, you know? So they hate VAQs. So, but even still, there are a bunch of VAQs there. There's a bunch of like American Vietnamese women who like went to Michigan and like studied, you know, like uh, something. And then for whatever reason, they ended up back in Vietnam. And they uh, are really fucking interesting people because they're all like, they all wear married, usually Western guys. And then a lot of times what happens is they both move back to Vietnam and then the Western guy suddenly is like, went from nerd to like king, you know, because that's what happens. Chad. You know, particularly in Vietnam. They're but, a Chad now. Yeah, you're suddenly a Chad, right? And anybody who goes, like, this is the thing people don't understand. You know, anybody who goes from nerd to Chad, from incel to Chad, like, if you haven't been through that before and suddenly you can have sex with all of your secretaries, it's fucking like really not an experience most people are used to having. So there's all these like Viet Q women out there who are either married or divorced who are like looking for the next guy and they moved out there with their like Western husband who's now like, fucking VP at some like big company out there and just, you know, has some 20 year old girlfriend because he, he was this total schmuck in America. And then now out there, he's like a star. And so I think that was super interesting to me. You know, that, that's always something I'm super uh, conscious of, which is like sexual dynamics. And I think like it's such a whirlwind up there that it's so fascinating to see people uh, going through that uh, on all different levels. And I will say that like the women, it is such a male, would you say that China is like such a male centric culture? Yes, but the women are doing most of the work in China, I would say. That's, I'm not saying the world, but China Women are doing. Women are working hard. Their boss. Their boss. Their um. What's the boss? Girl boss. They're all girl bosses over there. They're all girl bosses. Yep. Yep. No. Same in Vietnam. Same in Vietnam. The, the women are working really fucking hard, and there's no differentiation. It's not like when I say male dominated, I don't mean that like in the workplace the men are. No, it's like there's a in the law firm I worked at. So it was like one white guy who I told you got there after the Navy in 92 and every other lawyer was a Vietnamese and it was pretty balanced men and women. It wasn't like all men. It was like male lawyers and female lawyers, all Vietnamese together. And, uh, you know, what they say in Vietnam is like the good girls are really good and the bad girls are really bad. 
And that was totally true. It was like the girls that worked at my law firm were like totally untouchable. Like it was like, they, they were good girls and they were like, if you fucking look at them wrong, we will cut your fucking head off. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then you walk down the street and there's like the most beautiful girl you've ever seen throwing herself at you, you know, at the bar. Because it's like, I think there's like the haves and the have nots. I don't know what it is, but uh, no, I totally, I, I hear you is that the women, it's not that they're doing any less work or anything. It's just that, so then why did you agree with me when you, when I said male dominated though? Because it is. I mean, if you look at the Chinese government, there's the Politburo in China. They're like the top, the, the elite government leaders. And it includes Xi Jinping, the president or the chairman, whatever, whatever he is now, L lifetime leader. There's, I think, one woman in there. And there's just very few females in the upper echelons of the power structure in China. I mean, if you don't count the wives of Xi Jinping and so on, you know, like the actual leaders, there's just so few. And I'd say there's a lot of obligations for men in Chinese society. Like you got to buy the house, you got to pay for the wedding, you got to do all this stuff. So there's all these expectations. So the men get kind of bitchy about it. They're like, whoa, we have so much to do. We have so much pressure. But at the same time, the women are working so hard and oftentimes... They're a bit more clever, I would say. Like, I mean, generally speaking, and I'm trying to stereotype everybody, um, but yeah, the women are pulling their weight in China big time, and they're often managing the finances of any family in China. When it comes to the money, oftentimes the husband's handing the money over to the wife for her to manage, and then he can't have affairs or visit prostitutes or gamble because the wife has the money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So why do you hate the Chinese? You said you hated the, the, you know, CCP. Why? Because I like freedom. I'm a big freedom guy. I really love America for the principles, like freedom of speech, right to bear arms, all this stuff. I love that stuff. In China, People often say there's more freedom on Chinese social media because they don't have like the leftist witch hunt stuff. But no, it's much less free over there. You get censored for just about anything. And they the thing is, Silicon Valley is adopting this, these tactics. I wrote an article about this on my Medium account. Check out Nathan Baker on Medium. The, I'll send you the link later. But okay, this is how it works. You make some rules. You make them very vague. If you're a platform that does video or social media, you make some really vague rules. When it comes time to shut somebody down, you enforce those rules. But you don't really enforce those rules on other people who aren't problematic for your narrative or whatever you're trying to push. That's the same thing Twitter does. They have all these rules. It applies to some people. It doesn't apply to others. The Chinese... Uh, like tech industry, they really spearheaded that movement. And that's what Silicon Valley's copying it now, I would say. Wow, that's fucking terrifying, dude. I mean, yeah, it's communist. And I think that's why it's like the Trump supporters who say like, California, you know, it's like they're, they're wrong because they don't understand what they're saying. But at the same time, it's some really core based level. They are right. And, and if you read... 
1984, or if you read Gulag Archipelago, you know, these books are about totalitarian communism and leftism, really. You know, I mean, 1984 arguably is about fascism slash leftism, but they really can become the same thing. And yeah, it's like these tactics are so gross and obvious. And I totally know what you mean, but it's like, but, but when you're describing these tactics that they do, surely that's not their own, like, is that what they're telling themselves? Well, they're telling people a lot of things and a lot of people in China support the government. I mean, they like it like uh, they've, they've seen prosperity for the past 20, 30 years. A lot of people are on board. Are they they're like themselves. You're, you're describing the tactics from an outside perspective. You're well, I'm coming. Establish... I'm coming at this from a very American perspective. I'm an American. I have these principles as an American in China. They don't have those principles, so they don't have the same background. What they see is that. In the 1970s, people were starving. There was crazy witch hunts with the Cultural Revolution. And then all of a sudden, things loosen up a bit. People can make money. People can start their own businesses. People are getting rich. And then the Chinese government is helping out these these big tech companies like Huawei, like uh, companies like Vivo Smartphone, who you might have never heard of if you're an American, who are huge in India, or Oppo. All these big Chinese tech companies that are expanding globally. The Chinese government is supporting them. And I don't remember where I'm going with this, but the Chinese government is involved in every aspect of what's going on in China. And that includes business, especially global business. And they're a bunch of crooks. They're a bunch of gangsters. You know, like they're they're not just, you know, suppressing speech. They're putting... How many Xinjiang Uyghur Muslims in concentration camps? Now, a lot of people like to debate that stuff, but at the end of the day, they are putting people in re-education camps over there on a very large scale. Millions of people. And some of them are disappearing. So they're doing that kind of stuff. But it's also Tibet. And, and this goes back even farther. Okay, I know a Chinese guy. I used to work with this guy. He... He was never really nationalist. He was never really down with the CCP. But he never really understood the gripes of a Tibetan. Then he went to Tibet to do a video project, to do like a video shoot for, for an ad campaign for like a car company. They're like, we got to stress test these vehicles, see if they can handle the Himalayas. He noticed that over there in the, the it's not a province, it's an autonomous zone. The Tibetan autonomous zone. The Tibetan people could not stay in normal hotels, like all these hotels they stayed in while they're doing their shoots, Tibetans couldn't stay there because wow. they were high risk or something. Something was keeping, there was a regulation against the people of this land from staying in hotels in their land because they were land. Tibetan. Isn't that fucked? Uh, that's fucked? That's what they do. They do that kind of shit. So fuck them. I don't like them. You call me a liberal, libcuck, whatever you want to call me. I'm all about freedom. No, 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 no. I'm all about... Dude, Biden, no, Biden is... The Bidens are very, very China connected. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that Hunter Biden stuff. Dude, I shared a Hunter Biden meme on WeChat. There was a meme where there was like a crack pipe and there was like feet on it, like it was giving it a foot yeah. job. 
I shared that meme. There was no genitals, no nudity. I shared that meme on WeChat. Immediately, my account got locked. Yeah, I had to. Yeah, dude, I got in WeChat jail. Dude, what was one of Biden's first orders? To ban the use of China virus. Yeah. And I understand, like, because you don't want people to be racist towards Chinese. I get that. It, but is right. that really the problem here? Is that really the, the biggest issue we're facing? The, the Biden leak, the, the Hunter Biden leak was a very elaborate leak uh, from the Chinese opposition, from, from the opposition forces of China. And it's, Definitely. All, it's, all, about, it's all about power networks. You know, like... In order to get big, you have to have a power network. And the power network of the, the, the left, even though they're not left, but whatever the existing power network is, is Saudi Arabia, China, you know, uh, there's, but, but basically it's Saudi, China, there's somebody I'm forgetting that's in like the Clinton network. Like Saudi Arabia pay, paid for 25% of Hillary Clinton's campaign. Like they are full in Clintons, and that's their network. Is weren't they in on Trump too? What? Weren't they supporting Trump as well? No. 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 Okay. No, they paid for Hillary's campaign. Hillary against Trump. <laughs> you know, and so Trump's network was Putin for sure, Russia, and. Uh, you know, he had some other people. He had like the Chinese opposition. He had Israel. You know, he threw a lot of bones to Israel. I mean, Israel is always going to play both sides, but like they were pretty into Trump because, you know, he moved the embassy. That's how it goes. You, you got to throw bones to your power network. And uh, for sure, the Biden folk are against Russia and with China. And like Biden, China, that's a big thing. And that's why Pelosi's like, you're racist if you don't go to Chinatown, you know, during the disease thing. And that's why Trump is totally against China because he's like, no, like I'm on the other power structure. And I'll just say it here, like, dude, I lived, I lived in China 12 years. I lived in China 12 years. There's a lot of great people over there. They are the Chinese government. CCP, Chinese Communist Party, are the biggest threat to America. Period. Yeah. Easily. And we need to be smart about that. Well, we're not going to be smart about it. We're not going to be smart about it. Our culture is dying. It's obvious. And, you know, more and more, China will, which is not dying, which is doing great, will more and more start to understand that they can take advantage of us and they will and they will and they will until there's war. You that's know, a that, funny that's thing. The next you know, the leftists in America or the West, that's a big joke in China. That's like a big laughing point. People think it's so funny because it's so easy to manipulate. You could just throw yeah. out racism here, Race. discrimination there. Right, right. We can turn these people on our side. We can get them to do our bidding indirectly. They're not even going to know they're doing our bidding. Yeah. What's the word that they use? They use for like a, a woke SJW in America. The wo- they have oh a word God. for it. Wait, there's so many. They're like snowflake. 
That's just that's a no, dumb one. No, no, the Chinese have a word. For, oh, bai zuo. Like, there's a word. Bai zuo. Yeah, it's the white left. Yeah, yeah. a bai, yeah, bai zuo. Yeah, bai zuo. But it, it, people think it means white. Like it means bai is white, but it also means like empty. It means like thoughtless, like blank. It's like the blank left, the thoughtless left. It's like that. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Wow. Yeah, so yeah, it's pretty wild. B A I, bye. And it's a tone. It's bye. Zuo. And Zuo is left. How do you, what's. Bai Zuo. That's it. Oh, it's just B-A-I. B-A-I-Z-U-O. Yeah, Bai Zuo. Yeah, yeah, Zuo. I've heard that. I've heard that. Yeah. That they make fun of like the people on the left. With that. Big time. Yeah, because they, they're very easy to manipulate. If you just need a couple talking points. I'm not white. I'm Chinese. These white people hate me. You should defend me. And they don't hate me. Be I mean, you don't need to bring up why they hate me. They don't hate me because of my race. I happen to be a, you know, a member of the Chinese Communist Party. I'm very elite. I don't represent all Chinese people. But they hate me. So you should defend me. You should go to bat for the Chinese Communist Party. For your leftist ideals. Well, it's, you know, it's a, it's a John Calhoun thing. You know the... You know the uh the beautiful ones experiment no i mean i know john calhoun I, I i took history in 11th grade so i know that name but can you explain that well john calhoun was a scientist who did an experiment in the i think 80s in st louis that was called the beautiful ones and uh you hear that a lot now, like the beautiful one. It's like a phrase that's become a phrase, but um, it was on mice. And so the whole point was to make a, a mouse utopia, right? So like, it, like, it was like, what is utopia? You know, like what, what is the meaning of utopia? So they gave the mice like a huge amount of space. So for mice, it was like, you know, a very, very, very large amount of space that was designed to be perfectly like what mice want. So whatever fucking mice want, you know, like little holes and green fields, whatever the fuck it is. And they gave them unlimited food and unlimited uh, partners, right? So they, they started with a certain number of pairs of mice and they saw what happened and there was unlimited food. They, they didn't restrict anything from these mice. So the mouse population grew from like 10 to 500 it very, very rapidly. It was like, you know, in mice lifetimes, it was like three generations. Suddenly there was like a million fucking mice around. So they, it made it to like 500 pairs of mice. And then at 500, they reached this peak. And then suddenly it plummeted to zero. So, so not even to like, you know, like it survived. It literally went skyrocketed to absolute fucking zero. And there was no more fucking mice left. <laughs> they, all, they all fucking died. And it, it's kind of like a height of empire thing. You know, it's like, 
when you reach the height of empire it's like an inevitable fall like you will fall no matter fucking what happens and so amongst these mice what started happening is the first thing that started happening is that the gender roles flipped so the women started fighting the men so there would be fights now between the female i'm not it sounds like this is like I'm making this up to fit my worldview. I swear to God, this is a real fucking thing. Look at it, look it up. Beta. It's called The Beautiful Ones, John Calhoun. And uh, the women started fighting the men. And uh, the women and the men were all like torn up and shit. There was a lot of uh, like, suddenly the women started being with the women mice, the men started being with the men mice. But the reason Beta. it's called The Beautiful Ones is because 40% of the male mice population, only the men, not the women, suddenly removed themselves from everybody. So they Beta. went into their own corner and they stopped interacting with the rest of the mice population. And they just groomed themselves all day. So they would eat the unlimited food because there was unlimited fucking food because it's mouse utopia. So nobody's going hungry. It's fucking mouse utopia. There's food everywhere. But they would sit in the corner and just eat the fucking sugar water and groom, groom, groom. So he called it the Beautiful Ones Experiment because at the end of the day, these male mice looked like these amazing, like beautiful, perfect mice, but they had no interaction with the, the rest of the mice, you know, and they all fucking died. Like the incel mice fucking died. They all just fucking died. I feel like that's a fucking great. But they looked really good. They were yeah, it looks, it looks so good. They were killing it. They were slaying. But they then were they all died. It on Instagram. So many likes. So many likes on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> all right, but that's man. us now. I mean that that's America. You know and, and, and you know we fucking deserve it, man. You know, it's time. It's time to die. You know, we we have no time in the sun. Stop, dude. This Wall Street bets thing. This is a turning point. This is an opportunity. This is an opportunity for Americans to come together. I don't give a fuck if you're left or right. You all agree that this is great. Let's keep it going, baby. This is going to keep going. It's not just going to be Wall Street. It's going to expand out to other things. This is a real opportunity for a real broad coalition left right paradigm populist movement and i'm all for it i'm done with the gotcha games i'm done with being like oh well when you do it it's okay but when we do it it's not so ha 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 fuck that shit i'm all for sticking it to the fucking man and we can fucking do it now i think we can do it this is a real glimmer in my opinion well what's okay so which side do you fall on can i ask you that well, I, I'd say I'm center right. I used to be left wing when I was younger. And after I went to college, usually people become more liberal in college. I became more conservative I, because I went to one of the most liberal schools in America. I saw a lot of nonsense. I saw a lot of the identity politics nonsense that's going on now. It was happening at my college much longer before it became like a popular culture item. You know, like I was seeing this in the mid 2000s, mid to late 2000s. Yeah. So I, I it turned me off. I went what to college? Hampshire College. It's a school that doesn't even have grades. Totally. 
Totally. Yeah, so I went there. It was so liberal. It turned me more conservative. Like, that was my reaction to Hampshire. And that's fine. The thing is, I'm not a Nazi. I'm not a white nationalist. But I would say I'm a populist, for sure. I'm a populist. I'm all about things that are good for the people. And if the elite is corrupt and if they're fucking us, I want to fuck them. And that's what's happening right now with this Wall Street bets thing. Sure, it's just a, it's they're just getting in the tip, but still, I want I want to go deep, baby. I want to go in deep, full length. Yeah, I, I know you want to, and I, dude, I, you and I probably share the exact same politics. Like I would say that you and I are probably politically aligned exactly. Um, but, bro, it's not gonna fucking happen. You know, we, we have no angle. We have no way in. There is no leader. There, but we, dude, we have Bernie. We did have you Bernie. see? Okay, fuck the politicians. Did you no see this Wall Street else. best thing coming? Did you see this coming in a real way? Uh, well, no. Okay, I didn't see it exactly coming. But I knew that when once Trump was gone, right, the left, because I, I have a lot of very hardcore left-wing friends, I knew that the left, the thing about the left, the thing about liberalism, and this is if you read Moldbug, you, you really need to read Moldbug. If you have, you got to read a letter to an open-minded progressive, Mencius Moldbug, huge thing. But anyway, Moldbug's whole thing, and the thing in general, is that liberalism, leftism, is like capitalism in the sense that it always needs to grow. So it can't, it has to find a new enemy to destroy, always, right? So the reason why now we're talking about transgender shit is because every other victory in terms of sexual politics has been won. So now we're at the far fucking limit where we're getting to the point where things are just becoming absurd. You know, same thing. I knew that once Trump, once the bad guy, once the devil was gone, right? Once he was vanquished, what's the next Who's the next bad guy, right? Who's the next bad guy in line? Because there has to be someone. Because like capitalism, it can't stagnate. The only way that you keep those people, the only way you keep the masses engaged in your fucking, you know, by Amazon, like, fervor is by having another target. Another target, another target, another target. So you have to have fresh targets all the fucking time. And if you run out of targets, you're in bad fucking shape, right? And that's my so optimism. I knew what? I think the people are waking up, man. I think with Biden in power, yeah. and if Biden backs Wall Street on this, he's fucked. Yeah. He's fucked. Right. But, but most of the sheep are going to be sheep. And and that's the thing. And, it, and it's really going to come down to the people who aren't sheep to come together. But again, that's going to take so long. Dude. I mean, like, yeah, know, think about what happened. In Russia. Think about what happened in Russia. Stalin killed 40 million people. That was not long ago. You got to read Gulag Archipelago. Dude. He killed everybody. He killed the Christians. He killed the fucking social Democrats. He killed, he killed literally fucking everybody. And 
it is going to take a very long time and so many more people are going to have to get burned before the sheep wake up because yeah honestly the sheep are fucking fine they play video games they jerk off they eat food no oh yeah they're well taken care of yeah we're very privileged as americans the poorest american is very privileged compared to the poorest you know congolese person or bangladeshi you know but okay aoc like, I, I don't know if I 100% agree with that. I mean, I totally understand. It's like, you know, you read these books about Africa and it's like, Jesus Christ, you know, these guys, these people are living on one meal a day of like manioc root that they pull out of the fucking ground. They eat little two bits of it and that's their whole life. They just wake up, eat two bits of manioc root and then like carry water back and forth. No, but there's a lot of rape. There's a lot of rape in this place. If you're a woman, you're, you're fucked, you man. And then it's like manioc, yeah. rape, and just water a carry. That's yeah. basically their fucking... But, but, but dude... At the same oh, time, sir, go on. one of our fucking guys, one of our fucking guys who's sitting with the VR thing, get fucking jerking off with like McDonald's being delivered to him, that's just as bad, dude. That's, that is just as bad. That existence mm. of jerk off McDonald's guy, that's horrible. Horrible. Well, I'd rather be the African. I would existentially the African. speaking... Philosophically speaking, you could say that, but the feeling you have of being raped, I think I'd rather be the guy jerking off with the VR and the McDonald's. I would much rather be that guy. I would rather be rape, rape water manioc than, right. than jerk off McDonald's autonomous. Canceled. Canceled. Isaac Simpson <laughs> canceled tonight. Anyways, one thing with AOC, though. She got into it, Ted Cruz, and I, I don't like how that's become such a big story. Like, Ted Cruz is like, I agree with you. And she's like, well, you're trying to get me killed with your capitalist interaction. So she's turning it partisan with that interaction. If if people eat that up too much and people are eating it up, we're doomed. We're at a crossroads now. People have a choice to not eat that up. Don't eat that up. Don't buy into the partisan games that our stupid Congress who doesn't give a shit about us plays. I'm talking left wing. I'm talking right wing. I'm talking all of them. Fuck them all. This is about the people, baby. And we have, we, if we want it, we can take the power. It's not going to happen, dude. The sheep are the sheep, man. And the sheep, uh, the sheep are happy and fat. And it's fat, happy sheep who are in the jerk-off machine. You know, what's to get them out? What's to get them out of there? You know, there, there's nothing that's going to get the jerk-off sheep out of the jerk-off sheep land. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't see it. Like, wait, are they, are they going to one day understand that, you know, there's another class of people out there that's living life in the real world and that they have no access to that? I don't know. This might wake I don't think this they, might wake people up, man. This might be this is the moment where we have the potential. I'm not saying it's gonna happen. I don't necessarily think it will, but there's a chance right now. There's a real chance for a broad I spectrum populist movement to to take something back from these goddamn corrupt elites that run our lives. I totally had the same exact feeling when I saw the story, I was very encouraged. I was very much like, yes, yes, yes. 
And I do also agree that it's like, well, this is good because now all the people who were so balkanized the other way will now understand, okay, these are the tactics. You know, the, the tactics are when there's something that threatens the power, you call it racist. <laughs> you know, like when there's something that, that threatens the power, you, you paint it as uh, the racist people, you know, like, or the Trump or Russian or the, you know, the or the Russian, right? Whatever it is, yeah. you paint it with this brush. And a lot of people get very scared when you paint it with that brush. But most people are scared. People are scared people. That's what they are. They operate by fear. They, they live their life by fear. And they live their life by fear and comfort. And they wake up in the morning and they say, how do I alleviate my fear and maximize comfort? And that's why America is filled with fat fucks. And that's why the, you know, the, the beautiful ones experiment is so perfect. When, when you have a utopia in which everything is provided for you, you explode, you know, you die. We're in, and I just don't, you know, it happened to Rome. It, it, this is like what happens to empire. Brave and I new just world. think what we're seeing now is the decline of the American empire. And I love America, man. I tried yeah. to get an America tattoo. Hell yeah. U.S. fucking A, baby. I agree. Yeah. I agree, man. And, you know, if there's some sort of way to defend it, I'm I'm there. But it just seems like I just don't see it. I just don't yeah. know what's going to happen. I get your pessimism, but I have a bit of optimism. And I think there's a chance. I think there's enough logical people in America right now who are seeing what's playing out and dude so many people are going to wake up after this Wall Street bets thing I think this is like Trump was step one Wall Street bets step two I think this is it's a progression of waking up I agree it, it was a huge moment for sure and dude I you know hey invite me to the fucking revolution I'm there I'm I'll I will come I will come to the revolution. I'm fucking ready and I care about this country and I love it, but I've just seen so much, you know, I don't know, maybe it's different where from where you're sitting in Texas. No, I get your pessimism because at the end of the day, the house always wins. The media seems to be able to manipulate people. And when I say media, I mean corporate media yeah i don't sure. mean your little independent outlets that are you know spilling truth i mean cnbc viacom msnbc fox cnn all these fucks wall street journal all these fucks man all of them left right i don't give a fuck they're dirty and they're gross and they're lying to you for sure i totally agree I totally agree, dude. I mean, you and I, again, I think like, I don't know if I've ever met anybody politically that I think I probably am like right on the same page with. But I really do agree, man. I really hey, and we met on Parlor. Don't tell people that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what do you mean? No, no, no. We met on Facebook like normal people or Instagram. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We met on WeChat. 
Like Chinese people do. Even I mean, yeah. yeah. No, it's fine. I don't give a fuck, man. I mean, I got to stand up for something at the end of the day, but it's just like, you know, trying to make money. Trying to make some fucking money. Yeah, let's get that money. Well, I think we can wrap it up. It's been two hours. Any final thoughts? I mean, your book costs 987 in 25 cents that's pretty expensive for a paperback book and it's not even a hardcover we're talking a thousand dollars for a paperback book oh there's three u's for 89 bucks so you can get this book if you're part of the elite it's definitely not worth that no it's a total piece of shit this book sucks it's it's absolutely fucking terrible it, it, it's it's like so badly written but it was like the first thing I wrote, really. You know, it's like I, I was fucking bartending. I was bartending five years ago in fucking Ace Hotel women's bathroom in downtown LA. So, you know, it's been a fucking long road. And, uh, you know, this book was written at the very beginning of my writing career. And it took me a long time to get good at writing. Like it takes anybody to get good at anything. And so this book is fucking horrible. It's like when I read it, it's just like, oh my God, just please stop. So there's a, you know, I don't know. It sold a bunch of copies, but just because clearly people thought it was like Roosh V, like how to fuck yeah. girls in Vietnam, which is- How do I fuck Vietnamese chicks? I'm gonna yeah, buy this book. Yeah. For the record though, there was a lot of Vietnamese whores in Shanghai. There was like a whole bar scene where it was just Vietnamese whores. Vietnamese in Shanghai. That's like a thing there. But anyways, before we wrap up, I, I want to ask you one more question. You're in marketing now, advertising. You were in law. And then you went into gonzo journalism or just journalism. How did you get into marketing? How did that happen? It was done. It was gonzo journalism. So I got into marketing because, uh, so I graduated from law school. I passed the bar. I moved to LA. I worked for this super evil uh, agent, like very classic evil Hollywood agent type of guy. And I lasted about three months there before obviously it blowing up because it was just like, I was too old to deal with that shit. And uh I started writing. I started getting published. I, I got published in Vice. I got published. I started writing for LA Weekly, which was our like weekly, you know, village voice type magazine here. And I started writing all the time, but it's the money was nothing. So I still needed a job. And so I stumbled across a job at uh, an advertising agency called 72 and Sunny, which at the time was the best ad agency in the world. It was like the fucking... Rolls Royce of advertising agencies, you know, the, the, the best of the best. And the environment, like, you know, when I was in law, I worked at big law firms, you know, I graduated, I'm doing a lot of self-promotion, but I graduated at the top of my class. So I was in a lot of big, like white shoe law firms and the environment in these white shoe law firms is fucking horrible. It's like literally just sitting in room buzzing like fluorescent lights just like bug life like fucking bug man like i am a bug like you know and i hated it and so i you know that was part of the reason i didn't go into law because i was like i fucking hate this shit when i went to 72 and sunny it was like the polar fucking opposite it was like 
a world of fun. It was like people being creative, like ideas up on the wall, like people talking, like, you know, bean bags, beer tap, coffee thing, you know, like outdoor, everybody. It was just like the most amazing environment I'd ever seen. I was like, damn, this is like fucking awesome. But the job that I had was business affairs, which is like legal light. You know, it's like paperwork monkey. And so uh, I was feeling being paperwork monkey. And I was like, well, I love this environment. But what I really want to be doing is what these copywriters are doing over here who are like the kings of this place. Like the copywriters, they're the fucking, they're the like the Don Drapers because Don Draper is a copywriter, right? So uh, I was like, okay, well, you know, I really, I, I also dabbled with being like a literary writer, you know, like, like actually writing books or short stories. And I was like, ah, eh. you know, I don't, I didn't really like, I wasn't into that world. I, I also remember like going to like a journalist meetup one time with like people who had been published in all these big places. And I was like, these are just not my, this is not my fucking people. Like these are a different, different breed, but advertising I love. So I was just like, all right, well, I want to work at a place like this, but I want to uh, be a creative in that environment. And so that's how I, you know, I just slowly but surely, I kind of clawed my way uh, into that world. And that's like the brilliancy behind advertising. There's so much lame stuff in this industry, but you can really dig for gold. If you have the right people at the right place at the right time, there can be some real gold when it comes to creative and advertising. And that's what I love about this industry too. There's a lot of shit that I'm not proud of that I've been a part of because it's the lame ass marketing stuff. But at the end of the day, there's this little glimmer there in this industry. You could do something really badass, really creative, really fun. There's that opportunity. And that's what's so exciting about advertising, I think. And a whole lot more people are going to see it <laughs> than, than who see whatever, you know, bullshit, you know, like all these frog Twitter guys, you know, it's like, it, 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 you know, God bless their hearts. They're fucking geniuses and they deserve a lot. You know, the, you know, like bronze aid pervert, like these dudes, you, have you heard of them? Yeah. So, you know, yeah. these guys are geniuses. They're amazing. But like, you know, nobody sees any of this shit. They, they, they're not, they're completely isolated on their own island. And it's just like, I didn't want to be that. Again, I'm not a martyr. You know, I'm not, I'm not a martyr type. I want, uh, I want to live a very pleasant, happy life, <laughs> you know, of my own. Okay. So, so as, like sorry, as we wrap up, you're more of a family man now than when you were the man writing philosophy and fucking in Vietnam, would you consider being an expat again? If I wasn't married, yeah. I mean, if I if I hadn't met Gracie, I probably I had met Gracie in Amsterdam actually. When I had another writing thing, which was a blog called Roland Duchess, which was about being an expat in Amsterdam. So I I, I lived in Amsterdam for about six months, uh, studying at University of uh, uh, Amsterdam Law School. And it was called Roland Duchess. And I wrote just all like, you know, weekly. 
And then I met Gracie. And I think that that totally changed my trajectory because if I had not met her, I probably would have just like stayed an expat for the rest of my life. But meeting her, it was like, okay, time to, you know, go back. Anyway, sorry. All right. Well, you didn't mention that before. Six, okay, three months, bare minimum expat in Vietnam. But you were six months in Amsterdam, so we got to do this again. I'm sorry. Mr. Worldwide, two countries, Netherlands, Vietnam, back in Nam. Isaac, thanks a lot for being on the show. All right, brother. Anything anything you want to plug before we go? No. Even your agency? (laughs) No. You don't want to plug your agency? I don't want to plug it. All right, fair enough. If you need any marketing people of the world, uh, if you need any creative marketing, Come to willbeagency.com and email. Willtheagency.com. Will. Well, okay, there it is. You get a little glimmer. Check it out yourself. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Uh, Isaac, you don't need to hang up yet, but I'm going to press stop on the record right now.